welcome everyone to the Screamcast, episode 179. I'm uh, I'm one of your hosts, Sean DeRager. I did the host fail last time, and I forgot to introduce the other guests, the other hosts of the show. So, uh, major apologies. I'm Sean DeRager, of course. With me is Mike Delaney. Hello, Mike. Thank you, major apologies. Stephanie Crawford. Hello. Uh, Brad Henderson. Did you introduce yourself twice just now, though? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did. Totally, totally did. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to make sure. And uh, yeah, sorry. Um, and with us, very excited to uh, have these two back with us again, uh, Barbara Crampton and Travis Stevens. So welcome to the Screamcast, both of you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> We are, of course, talking uh, Jacob's Wife. Uh, the new movie is coming out. The day you're listening to this or watching this, it is out. Watch it. Um, we, of course, have viewed it, and we will be talking to uh, Travis and Barbara about it, and I'm very excited to to talk about it because I really, really, really love the film. Um, so that's it. I, w- I want to open the floor to, uh, to uh, Stephanie, though, um, to lead us off with a, any any questions you may have about the movie and any comments, of course, you know. I'm sick of oh. myself talk, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, I guess congratulations on this film. It was so much fun, and uh, uh, it really is a Barbara Crampton film. Uh, Not to take anything away from the rest of the cast, but uh, I know you've been with the script for a while. So what's that uh, been like, that process from when you first ran into it to now? It's kind of been a roller coaster in a way. Um, I... It, it won Best Screenplay at Shriekfest Film Festival in 2015. And it, it was a great screenplay. And it, But as you, you look at things and as you think about who might be in them, you, you want to develop other parts of the story. And, you know, the, the story could have gone in a few different iterations, and it did at, at different times. We had one writer do some work on it, and... Um, he made it into a big blockbuster. <laughs> and when we realized we couldn't probably fund that, we decided, oh, we'd better make it a smaller movie. So we toned it back down. And then we went to a couple of other people before um, Kathy Charles worked on it. And um, she added in some things. And then and then Travis also came in, you know, very close to when we, we decided that uh, we had a script that, that we felt comfortable with bringing it to directors and we brought it to Travis and then Travis says, well, Hey guys, there's a lot of stuff that I want to do with this too. And I want to pepper in some stuff. Uh, mostly I think about my character and Larry and kind of using us. And also uh, Travis can talk better about this using um, the vampire films that we all have grown to love over the number of the past number of years and um, sort of subverting some of the tropes and also using some of them and and highlighting aspects of Larry's and my personal relationships with our own spouses and putting that into the script so that it really felt familiar and really felt like it was us. So there, there's a lot of us in the movie as well. It, you know, it took probably two years of really working on the script before we brought it to Travis and then he... Um, 
worked his magic on it. So it was, it was, it was a while. I, I have a question, Travis. Yeah, just... Oh, okay. no, go ahead, Travis. I'm sorry. No, no, please. <laughs> well, I, I had a question about um, as, as the director and, and as so many, you know, you know, three screenwriters involved and then everyone bringing their personal takes on things. Um, how, how, when you're the, directing something like this, how do you balance tone? Because this, what I loved about this film is there is a, uh, you, you do play with tone quite a bit because there's this, there is this commentary on a long-term marriage and there's a, there's commentary on, on, you know, being a spouse of a, of a pastor of the whole, you know, of being in, in the church. Um, but then there's also this mythology of the vampires, but then there's, but then with all of that going on, some, some serious stuff, there is these little, um, there is these little, uh, uh, nuances of like the gore, the fan, the Fangoria gore flicks that we, you know, loved, you know, that we all kind of loved, um, you know, arterial spray and things like that. Um, what was, was it a juggling act for you? What was, how did that kind of come into play when in, in the planning stages and then even throughout the filming? Uh, first, I just want to say thank you for having us on. I'm so happy to be back, and I'm sure Barbara as well, and talking with you guys. And I think, you know, we made this movie in the spirit of like, like love and admiration for each other and for the genre. And so it's really nice to be here talking about it because we have that admiration for you guys and that conversations with you. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's sort of like, yeah, movies, horror movies are fucking great. Here we are. So, uh, but to, to answer your question on tone, you know, it, the, the, the sort of operating premise of this movie was to, at least for me, was to give Barbara some opportunity to show some acting in ways that we hadn't seen before, more introspective uh, interior mm -hmm. stuff, more quiet mm -hmm. stuff, which, you know, is a more, you know, naturalistic or, or more dramatic sort of style. And yet at the same time, we wanted this movie to sort of honor the movies that had put her on the map in the eighties in the horror community. So it seemed there seemed to be a logic between starting in one genre and when she gets bit, transform the movie into the other. Mm -hmm. um, that might not always work for everyone because especially nowadays, movies tend to tell us exactly what to think right from the opening frame. And we kind of are in one sort of space for the duration of the movie. And the, this movie definitely, the, the form of the movie changes as the characters do. Uh, but that was the thinking behind it. Hopefully audiences enjoy that and enjoy not knowing what's going to happen next, because yeah. that's what Anne and Jacob's experience is. They don't know what's going to happen next. They get presented with this fantastic element and it's absurd and their world is getting crazier and crazier and they're just reacting to it. And so that was the thinking behind it. Awesome. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I want to piggyback on that for a second because, because um, yeah, I, I I was trying to figure out what Sean was asking because my <laughs> brain got all distracted. But it landed on it landed on tone, and that that was something that I really, really, really responded to uh, in in this film because 
And uh, I, I actually haven't read anything that anyone said about the movie. So please, if I'm speaking out of school here. <laughs> Everybody loves it. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. So I love it. I love it too. I love it too. I've read any reviews And then here is here is a and why. Except uh, but but one thing uh, that I loved about the movie was the tone. How like when when we first start and we're getting that great montage of uh, Larry, you know, preaching, and we're we're getting the face of the congregation. It, and Travis, you did a great job lingering on the the younger uh, the black woman who's going to become very like the the whole thing was set up in like such a non comedically way that when it started getting funny, I was like, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, this is funny how uh, how when bad things happen to me in my life, I think, oh, they're kind of funny. But then we go from like satirical, farcical funny to uh, like when the Nosferatu like shows themselves and and how it, it, it almost takes it to the next level of like a, uh, what they do in the shadows. And mm -hmm. I, I just loved all the uh, across across the tones from dark to, to light. I just loved all the the uh, nods throughout so i don't have a question I, I, yeah <laughs> but i also think that after you know Anne's world is kind of dull and boring and 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 pale in the beginning and even the look of in inside the church and the and the saturation and the colors are a little bit you know just it just looks like there's something you know it's not really rich and then and then she gets bitten and then the whole world opens up because she's, she's, you know, has an, another chance at life. And so mm -hmm. the world gets bigger and brighter and funnier and more dangerous and messier. And, and that's what living is. I mean, she's finally right. living. And so I think the world changes as Travis was saying, along with her character and, you know, when you're really living and when, Things are really happening in your life. I feel overwhelmed and I feel all consumed myself, even now, just talking to everybody with the movies releasing. There's a lot more energy around what's happening in my life right now than my normal going to the store to get food for my family and cooking my dinner and, you know, doing my daughter's laundry, which I have, she's eight, almost 18. I've asked her to do it and she doesn't do it. So you know what? I just do it. What I just a, do what it. Fun, amazing time for you guys. Yeah. This so, so the sexy. world is the world is opened up, and I'm talking to you guys, and we're talking to other people, and you know, we're tweeting along, and all of a sudden, there's just all this energy happening, and the world is funny and different and more enlivened after she's bitten. So the world is going to change. Mm -hmm. You know, it kind of makes sense. It well, makes sense to us. A metaphor for for the midlife. Yeah too because mm -hmm. i mean we've seen a lot of vampire films where it's a, a young person coming to age sexually yeah. right but yeah whole thing and turn it into a metaphor for when you discover yourself as an adult how beautiful is that meeting yourself as an adult i know <laughs> i don't i don't think that it's ever too late to rediscover yourself yeah. and to have a new lease on life and i think a lot of us get comfortable in our lives and we make decisions that feel safe because they're familiar. And that's what Anne did for her whole life until she finally wakes up. She has an awakening to herself. And I think any anyone experiences those times in their lives when they feel like 
you know, either they're giving over to their partner because, you know, they're shrinking or just their life feels small and, and you can do it. You can grab onto things. You can break out of what your experiences are if you want to, it's your choice. And that's what the whole movie talks about. It's your choice. You have the choice. Right. Yeah. No, and up until that beautiful ending, which I don't want to spoil, but uh, yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. And you said the expression, a lease on life. And uh, I'm connecting it to uh, your, your film. And maybe it's not even that your character needed a new lease on life. She needed to like own that life. Like maybe, Mm -hmm. because now I'm thinking of it, Jake, because Jacob has good things about him and he has his head in the right place. Like, but he doesn't know this is, this is brilliant. You want to own your life and he wants you to lease it from him still. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. You must. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I do think that he has something to learn through the process too. And I think that he starts enjoying his life a little bit more even though he, he didn't realize that he would, he's, you know, he's, he's becoming a hero and he's really seeing his wife for the first time and, and loving her in a way that he's really seeing her for who she is as a singular person without her identity being absorbed by him. And, and there's there, you know, they both have an arc, they both change and he's not, He's not wrong. He's not a bad person. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've said it a couple of times before. I really think that this, you know, the questions of how we are in relationships and how we give over or not to another person or somebody takes over and, you know, you, you disappear a little bit and how do you manage relationships over a long period of time, especially for Larry and I, who are both long married people, we had many discussions about this. These, the questions are as eternal as vampirism. And maybe that's why, a vampire story is our metaphor, you know? I loved, I loved all the small nuances with the, with you and Larry's relationship, like just in the bathroom, him brushing his teeth, you know, the (laughs) bed, um, there's all these little things and that are so true. And, and, you know, and and maybe that's why people were shocked when it started getting, Oh, this is a horror movie. (laughs) Because people were so, I think, because I was so invested Mm -hmm. in that relationship. And then, I, and then I had to realize, oh, wait, mm-hmm. yes, this is a vampire movie. Um, here we go. But those little well, touches were, yeah. were just fantastic. Well, I think we got a window into who these characters were, thanks to Travis. And I think that he wanted to highlight that, you know, the mm-hmm. aspects of who these people were to one another and, and just to really look at them. And he asked us different questions about our personal life and, you know, there's some things in the movie that Jacob does that my husband does. My husband snores and he's snored for 20 years. And I, he's never been to the doctor to see why he snores. I don't know. I mean, some people have sleep apnea whatever. My husband doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He just snores. So I have to wear earplugs every night because I can't sleep or I would be sleeping in another room. And, you know, so there we, Travis put that in there because that was something of my own life. And my husband, my, my poor husband, I'm, he's downstairs, you know, talking behind his back. But he, you know, he cuts me off many times when we're in a conversation. He talks over me. And I don't. Well, think- to be fair, he's downstairs. So you're talking over <laughs> him right now. There All you right. go. Let's be you clear know, on geography. But I don't, I, you know, he, and I remind him of it all the time. And I'm, I'm, very forceful as a person. So I, you know, I don't hide behind him, but 
there's just little, little things that we all do. And I, and I know that I do things that annoy him too. Um, and I don't know what those are, but um, we <laughs> anyway. what? none of us could guess. What I don't think. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, these are real people and, you know, Travis should talk about that more. I mean, you know, I mean, you we're real people in, in this story. In real life. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, um, I thought it was interesting to sort of look at the house as sort of like a, a domestic battlefield. <laughs> two people are in this, this sort of like domestic private Ryan, saving private Ryan, where there's all these landmines and quiet yeah. happening and they're just trying to get across the, the beach each day without stepping on any. And mm. I think that's, when a relationship reaches an unhealthy point, that's that's kind of what it is, where the two people are just getting through their life in the same space and yeah. lose, uh, they're not tuned into each other's needs or each other as much. And, you know, that's kind of what Jacob needs to learn in this movie and, and needs to feel more comfortable broadcasting her needs and, and, and wants more loudly and he needs to practice tuning in and listening and uh so in order to get to that point it was a lot of fun looking for the in the first act you know these little true to life passive aggressive moments that couples can have you usually in uh this type of movie travis they they have the the middle aged couple uh, like Larry and Barbara have kids and they usually make it about the kids. Was there any iteration of this script where there were other children involved or something and we paired it back to make it just about these folks or because I was always waiting for that shoe to drop. Yeah, there's certainly been talks and, and Barbara can speak to this more of, of bringing a child into the equation and you know what that would do and and I think one thing we realized early on is the more we could strip away the external factors and really focus this story on Anne and to a lesser extent, Jacob, but the better. And, and that was sort of like the motivations shouldn't be about for protecting a kid or, or choosing between a, a, a male suitor or her husband or any of that it's got to just be about her getting comfortable saying this is what i want that's and, a that's a good uh-huh. point yeah because with that uh male suitor in the first act yeah yeah you yeah. know you're totally right that's why you're the director man doing this that's right. i don't know anything you yeah, settled this question yeah i mean it, it, it's it's something though that it takes exploration takes conversation mm-hmm. and that's Anybody who's listening to this, who's going to watch the movie, is they're just going to see the results of these conversations yeah. and these decisions. But the process of making the movie, what's really exciting, are the conversations and working through that math and being like, well, what does this do? And what and what what are the implications of this decision? And you know, it's something that we put a lot of a lot of uh, time and, and love into, and you know. I'm, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. It's like the movie's no, coming but, out. Everybody seems no, to like but, it. Yeah. yeah, but no, Travis is right. Like we did, we did talk about, you know, putting a child in there at one point. We thought, well, maybe she tried to have children and they couldn't, but 
maybe Jacob didn't want to mess with God's plan. And so they couldn't, you know, they, they would, they wouldn't able to go to a doctor to help them because, you know, but then would that make Jacob out to be a bad guy? If we did that, there was also a talk about a neighbor, one of the neighbors and her having a baby and maybe me wanting a baby. And would I, would the neighbor come to the, come to the door and I would hold the baby and I would already be a vampire. And then people would be afraid that, Oh, I was going to bite the baby, you know? So we were trying to think of things. How, oh, how you're going to bite the baby bar. <laughs> you know, but then we scrapped, we scrapped all of those. We, we thought about them and talked about them, but we, we just said, no, 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 we're not going to, we're not going to use those. So, yeah. I think it worked because for me, I, as a viewer, I was just kind of filling in the blanks of like the, a bunch of what ifs. And um, I found myself like, even after the movie, kind of thinking about it and like, you know, and and all that didn't matter to the story or to, or to your character, Barbara, it just didn't, there was enough there for us to really get, you know, who mm -hmm. your character was, what the motivations were. I think everything else would have been maybe too much, but I did think about that and I didn't, yeah. I just kind of thought, I just kind of filled in mm -hmm. the blanks, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause you, we did think about that. Look, there's two couples, you know, there's Jacob and his wife and then, there's uh, his brother and his brother's wife and none of us have children, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm always a fan of telling a simpler story. I, I feel like sometimes things do get too complicated. And, and so I, you know, when we finally came to the decision of not having children, I was okay with that because then it takes you into another different direction. If you don't mm -hmm. explore that, then people think, oh, they're missing something. Why you didn't explore that? Where, you know, you showed us that and you didn't explore it. Then it becomes a different movie. Right. No, I I think you guys you guys really explored it. And I know I, I just had that question because it was so refreshing to not mm. see it to just have it be this more insular look yeah. at uh, at this couple without like muddying the the narrative. But um. Oh, I had a, I had another question uh, on that point, but I forgot it because I have ADHD. <laughs> Brad, you're awfully quiet tonight. I I want to I want to hear you talk. I was just, I would let I was just letting everybody talk. I miss your voice. Oh, you know what I was going to say. I know what yeah. it is. There you I go. heard Brad. I heard Brad's it. voice, and I wanted it to stop immediately. So <laughs> you know mistake. Well, I was going to I was going to say, Travis, you have you have a. Uh, a jump in the movie. You have a scene in the movie that I thought was so fucking brilliant. That that's on on par for me with like Exorcist Three, the great uh, you know jump scare in the hospital in Exorcist wow. Three. But it's no 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 no. Walk that back before your listeners fucking just thrash us. Sir, your Venmo payment already went through. You gave me. The <laughs> You're reading it now. This is on. We're doing. Oh my it. gosh. So you have to Venmo Sean to cut it out. No, but the the, <laughs> the scene is when uh, uh, Barbara is um, like really turning into the uh, ha having the vampirism like in the house where her her mouth has the caked like Joker yeah. makeup. You know what? I, but it's burned. It's burned. Not Joker. It's burned. It's burned. It's burned. Yeah. yeah. And. Travis, you have uh, the most of the coverage in the scene is from outside, from the neighbor's point of view, who like, it, I love how long the scene takes to play out because you actually get the dude, like exactly when I felt so, the guy says, listen, I'm, it's feeling a little awkward right now. And I was like, oh yeah, I was about to say, mm -hmm. Travis, 
getting a little awkward, buddy. We got to get to that. <laughs> that that scene was so good. But mm. sorry again, not a question. the The thing that uh, that it wrapped around to for me though was um, one of my favorite episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is this one called the Zeppo, where it it's showing the craziest night on earth, like closing the Hellmouth, but from the perspective of the the tertiary characters, you know. And and then I was like, oh. This is that amazing epic vampire story just told through peripheral characters in a It's almost like I'm discovering movies for the first time as I hear myself talking out loud. And uh, anyway, I just want to talk about your movie. Love it. I'm rambling. I mean, one thing that we sort of discovered on set was this ability to, um, you want to kind of hang with these characters as they're discovering a piece of information. And, and that was an example of, you know, how long can you milk it before you, you give the punchline? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's just dialing it in. And, you know, I think that the thing that I really enjoy about this particular movie is the punchline is Barbara Crampton devouring someone with this look <laughs> of glee on her face, which is like, this is not your normal demon or monster or something that you see the punchline is somebody that you care for as a character and care for as a person being like, ah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And that was, and I, and I've said this a couple of times, Travis knows this, that was a shocking moment for me too, because you only get to do these gags once. The cleanup was two hours on that (laughs) kitchen and so, you know, everybody prepped me for it. Okay, you know, the tube of blood is here and, you know, it's going to come out of here and you're going to, you I don't want to, if people haven't seen the movie, I, wanna, I don't want to give it away. But anyway, there's, you know, a, a hearty thing that happens in the kitchen with the neighbor. And <laughs> um, I didn't know, I didn't know how much uh, blood there was going to be and what was going to happen. It was just like, oh my God. <laughs> So the shock on my face is really real because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared and maybe that's good. You know, <laughs> it felt like a surprise to me as well. Like blood finally, I'll, maybe, maybe I'll talk now. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, well, a, a few things I'll talk for a bit because I usually talk a lot. Um, so I think uh, something that's special with this uh, Travis is that <laughs> You know, you have your first film that you did, uh, and this is your uh, second. Um, actually, wait, no, this is your. Yeah, this is yeah. your second film because you didn't do you. You just wrote Summer's Moon, right? You didn't direct it. Oh, I hate to bring that up. I oh, hate to bring it up. How <laughs> dare you? I mean, this was going so well, and then just <laughs> sandbagged. Oh. So, so what I, what I found interesting about this is, you know, uh, you have your first film that is very sexually charged. And in, in this one, it starts off as this, and, and this is a good thing. It starts off as this slow, like somber, like domestic relationship, um, and I'm I'm just sitting there with the first 15 minutes trying to figure out what you're doing, uh, which is good in retrospect looking at the entire film because it 
does show this boring side of your domestic relationships, especially marriages that have been on for so long. And then it really kicks into high gear. And it then it felt like a Travis Stevens movie in a way with, uh, you know, rediscovering yourself uh, as a person, also rediscovering yourself sexually, uh, which I thought was a nice touch uh, to this. Um, Cause you really don't see that side somewhat in older uh, with, with like your, you know, you're between 45 and 60 year old people in films, you don't see that sexual uh, connection. And I guess that's what I'm getting at is that, you know, you're very good at this with, uh, you know, showing sexual sides in films. Um, But, you know, doing it in this one, uh, it's done very well in the sense it's not gratuitous. It doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like it's not needed. It really is kind of this rediscovering uh, of yourself, um, you know, as a woman and, and as a man. Uh, on both sides equally. Uh, and I just want to see if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to answer sort of generally, but um, and then turn it over to Barbara so she can speak more specifically about uh, the, the sort of sexuality in, in this story because it's something that she had very strong feelings about and, and you know we really did work on a lot. But in general, I've not even just older people in horror films, I think in horror films in general, sex has become written out or taboo. Uh, And and I can understand maybe there was a time where it felt extraneous to the story or something. And maybe it was a reaction to that, but, but I mean, where are the Hellraisers? Where are the movies that, 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 that sensuality, that, that sort of desire is the, the, pulse that's driving the the heartbeat of the film it's something that i miss in in movies and something that is a part of life and i think yeah same here be a part of horror movies uh you know and will you know always be a part of my horror movies probably it's it's a color that should be on the palette that you're painting with in my opinion specifically in jacob's wife i mean all of it has to be in service of the story. I'm not just saying like, and then <laughs> right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in general, like it seems like people start painting without even that color on their palette. Uh, Jacob's wife. This is a movie about a, a woman sort of rediscovering her lust for life. So of course her own sexuality and sensuality is going to be a part of that arc. And uh, Barbara, I'll turn it over to you and, and then maybe come back around to it when you're done. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it um, when we were doing the final development of the script. And um, I and I think everybody was just being careful around me, too. And I said, no, this aspect needs to be there. She, you know, they need to make love. They, I'm sorry, nobody's seen it, the movie yet, but they do. And they you know, for a lot of reasons. I mean, she's rediscovering herself. She's rediscovering her sexuality, her power, her lust for life, all of that. And she also wants to bring her partner along with her. She doesn't want to leave him. I mean, maybe she will. We don't, we don't really know. Ultimately there's, there's chapters of this story yet to be written and everybody at the end of the movie is going to have a different feeling about it. But 
I just thought it was really important. I was pretty adamant. I said, you guys, it's fine. You know, we, we should have this in here. And if, if you all agree and we want to do it, I, I think we should do it. And everybody was like, okay, you know, let, let's go for it. But there is, we are in a period right now where people are treading on nudity and sexuality in movies very carefully and for a lot of good reasons. And look, I was in some movies in the eighties where I think, you know, some of, some of the scenes I, I was in could be con construed and, and people could think that they were extraneous and not needed. And definitely there are some films that I have friends in, and it's mostly the women, um, that were in movies that were, oh, maybe you didn't need that, but if it's in service of the story, I have no problem with it. And yeah, I no, think absolutely. it should be there. And I, yeah. And, and also for Larry as well, because, you know, it's equal opportunity, uh, lovemaking in this, in this film. And we wanted to make sure we had that as well. Yeah, no, I thought it was uh, interesting and, uh, you know, try to be spoiler free as possible, but I, I just, mm -hmm. I, I found that, whole scene very enthralling just because there was just so much from both sides mm -hmm. um and it was gratuitous it's not even the right word no it's not i don't think it is at all it's, it's not gratuitous at all but it showed enough to show a very sexual side to, mm -hmm. to it but also very much as these are two people kind of rediscovering the, yeah. the, themselves in their relationship and it was just, I, I just felt like it was mm -hmm. a very, very important yeah. scene on mm -hmm. a multitude of levels. One from a filmmaking perspective, uh, from a story perspective. Um, but, you know, it's just, and Travis is right. And that's the reason why I brought it up is because I've seen so much like online, like polls, like is sex, sex scenes mm. needed in movies. And I just think it's the most outrageous thing because mm. if it is, if it's if it, there's a reason for it of course there is yeah. you know i'm not just talking about shower scenes with women but if there's a sex scene between two people and there's a relationship there mm -hmm. it's incredibly important it's something you know? we do and, all the time so it's part of life i mean right. it's like yeah. or, or the shower scene in gus van sant's elephant like i couldn't imagine the movie without the shower scene in gus van sant's elephant you guys think I'm joking, Why? but I'm being serious. <laughs> well, I'm being serious. <laughs> Do you remember the movie Elephant? I, I don't exactly remember the shower scene in Elephant. I've seen. Well, the I'm movie, not going to but... bring down the tone of the, the show right now. Uh, but what happens I, it, in this? It was shower. a multi-layered. I've never it seen was it. a multi-layered joke. I, I'm going to oh. pretend like I didn't say anything. Okay. Okay. If I can just add another thing, which is, um, you know, in Jacob's wife, there was this this uh, progression to that leads up to that scene of her and, and Jacob uh, rekindling their passion. And there's a couple of important steps. And the first is the temptation that uh, her old flame represents yeah. allowing herself to act on that. And then she, she stops that. But then there's this important scene in the middle where the master character seduces her to feel herself which is this big step towards, you know, I think, it, I think Anne had sort of sh shut down mm -hmm. or had felt shut down. And so there's this moment of seduction where the antagonist in the movie is basically saying, Hey, feel yourself, like reconnect with yourself, literally 
feel how your hand feels on your skin. You're here, you're present, you're a human being. It's okay to have these feelings. And like, that's the type of stuff that isn't in a lot of modern genre stuff because it's not stuff people are interested in (laughs) or financing, I guess. I don't know why it's (laughs) got in there, but it's like, this is, this is what drama is. And this is what art is supposed to be about. So yeah, I don't know. I I found it fascinating. And that's one of my, my favorite scenes, both in performance and in sort of, you know, what it represents to, to the overall story is like a woman taking a moment for herself to mm-hmm. remember it's okay to feel good. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, another important part of this movie um, is uh, uh, Tara Bush score. There's, there's so much lingering um, in the background with this score that it really uh, fulfills a lot of scenes uh, and carries certain scenes. There's a very kind of mysterious sound that is happening uh, in in the background in this, and you know, obviously it's intentional, um, but it has this very kind of gothic uh, feel. While the movie looks modern. Um, and everything about it is kind of modern, even though it feels like it's somewhat set in the nine, like nineties, but there's still kind of this Gothic oriented score that feels like from the sixties and seventies. Um, and just wanted to see if you could talk about that a little bit, cause it's, it's uniquely composed for something of this nature. It's like yeah, modern and timeless approach. at the same time. I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, there's the delay. I said it's both, it's oh. like modern and timeless at the same time. Like, it's a very, very unique. I loved it. Yeah, that, that, that was the approach across the board, which is to do something new that has the, the DNA of things that have come before. Um, and so whether it's the production design and what cars we're using and landlines and that, it is present day, but it has the feel of a classic movie. And, and part of that's in just pure aesthetic preference, but also it's in service of trying to evoke these movies that Barbara had, you know, sort of splashed on the scene in, you know, trying to trying to capture a bit of that that flavor in our story. Um, and that went with the score as well with with Tara and you know, when you're working with a, a composer who, who is using synths, a lot of the more contemporary versions of it have a very specific sort of carpeted drone sort of almost sound design aspect to it, which can be evocative, but it did not fit this movie. This movie is big and bold and colorful and jagged and, and explodes. And so we looked to you know, the Friday the 13th scores, the scores that had space in between the notes and the notes were timed to certain moments and certain cuts and a new sound would come in. And so it's it's got melody, but it also, a lot of the work is in sort of the editing of, of the melody so that it's really working in picture. And that's something that Tara Bush 
you know, excelled at. And it was so much fun. I, it, we, she came on to the project at the writing stage. So we had so much longer to work together than you normally get with a composer. And I think that's why the score has so much personality. And that's not to diminish composers who work with less time, but it was something that yeah. certainly I think made a difference on this one. Yeah, it was very uh, Charles Bernstein-esque, it felt, to where the, the, the score itself is a character in the background, um, which you don't really get. I mean, we do have these great bombastic scores and, you know, these creepy scores and just there's so much fun with music and none of that's wrong. It's, it usually works out really well. It's just different movies have different, you know, with the score, it has a feeling and it, and it felt uh, a little voyeuristic in, in a sense, uh, kind of in the background. And, um, you know, and it's very low too. It's, it's not very loud, but that's what I liked about it is because we are dealing with shadows. We are dealing with vampires. We're dealing with creatures that have lived for centuries in the shadows so it doesn't need to be right in your face. It does need to be re reserved in a sense. And I think that's what was so unique about it. Um, and that really kind of sparked a lot of my interest with the film. So she should be really happy to hear that. And, and you know, the, the first decision was knowing that I wanted this score to have a feminine quality to it and really sort of try to put the audience in Anne's head. And Tara is a vocalist as well as a, a co composer. So literally we were able to have a female voice as part of the score, which is something that you normally wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily right, yeah. have. Um, and then just as well as the, the perspective and, you know, she, she related to this story and had a deep personal connection to it and is also a goth kid from the eighties and, mm -hmm came to work each day honoring that history and being like, if I'm doing this, it's gotta, it's gotta be right. So. <laughs> and how was it working with Marcus again with his blood cannon? <laughs> Did he have his blood gun or blood cannon? On set? Cause it sure looked like it. We had to, we had to design some new ones for this. He, uh, it's good. I mean, I'm sorry. And Barbara, uh, why don't you talk first and then I'll, I'll I mean, I, I don't want to be well, you know, I mean, again, I would just say dealing with, you know, these blood gags and I, I find it fascinating. I love practical special effects and, um, you know, Marcus is able to really invent some wild things to get the things done that we need to. And it was, there's, you know, there's one shot of my neck with these pulsating holes in it, bite marks and you know, if I told you how we accomplished that, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. It's, it, I don't even want to give it away because it's Wait, so were you amazing. bitten by a vampire? <laughs> that was it. That was it. It was just how we did the close-up of, you know. <laughs> Wait, that's how you did the close-up? You actually got bit by a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I don't believe it. I don't yeah. believe you called the print. Yeah. But, so you know. Mark the master. Yeah, there, you know, so everything was like, you know, every day you come to work and you go, oh, this is what we're doing today. And um, so, so anyway, the, the close up of the blood, the, the close up of the neck thing was a completely 
separate piece from my neck. It was over here. And I had to put my hands in, in my neck over here. And then they shot it as if I was holding my own, you know, pushing this mm -hmm. into my own neck, but I was actually doing it over here. It's it, very, it was, like, a, it was amazing. I, no. I didn't know how it was going to work, but it works. No. Um, and then just, you know, just where the tubes of blood are, are going to be and, and, and where they're going to come out of your mouth and how they're going to come out of your mouth and what we're going to do. And just, yeah. And I mean, I, I there's, and Amelia, the dear Amelia we had in the, in the film, Naisha Bell, who is also a victim, supposedly of the of the master, and um, what happens to her and her makeup was just insane looking. So, uh, I think Travis and Marcus know each other very well, and they had a lot of fun together. <laughs> well, we we lived together because yeah. it's the most efficient way, like. Marcus probably feels terrible every time I text him and say, hey, are you available to work on a movie? Because there's so many special effects gags in these movies. <laughs> mm. So we lived together. It was him, his partner, Jesse, who was also working in, in the makeup department and myself. And so we would shoot and then go back to the house and then work the second shift sort of working on getting the stuff ready for the next day or the upcoming week. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if people understand just how hard that department actually works because there's not just the uh, day of making, applying a thing and then making it work. You have to set your mold. You have to build your molds. You set your molds. You got to check the molds, like all the steps leading up to having an appliance that'll actually work on the actor is man hours that that means the person's not sleeping. And so I would try to cook dinner. There was a lot of beer that was drank. Uh, we would try to watch movies on the weekend to, to sort of rest the brain, but um, it, it became like a, it's like a, like a battlefield triage unit, like MASH, the opening of that TV show MASH, where there's just <laughs> dead bodies and fake blood everywhere. And you're just trying to get the, the tomorrow's gag done. And, often a thing isn't ready and you've got to figure out another, another approach. But in terms of this one, you know, the big, the big sort of discovery was he found a brand new on the market industrial pump and reversed the engine on it so that it would blast blood out. <laughs> and that is how we got uh, our volume, uh, a bit of MacGyver in. And, you know, they would say, like, oh, how much are you thinking? Like a gallon? No, 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 a lot of blood. Only like like five gallons or whatever. And eventually we just had a kiddie pool filled with it. And just <laughs> yeah. Keep going, keep going, keep going. It's just, and it's just so nerve-wracking all the time as an actor because you, you want the gag to go correctly because it is a lot of cleanup. And, and we didn't ha ever have to do anything twice. We didn't go all that... That didn't work. Okay, we got to reset. We we did never did that because it always worked. But you have to think in your brain where I where am I in the in the movie? How am I feeling? And oh my god, is this is this blood spray that's supposed to come out of my mouth gonna mess up my hair? <laughs> am I gonna? Is it gonna start getting in my mouth? Am I not gonna be able to talk? Is it? You know, you're just you're bracing yourself that it, that it's all gonna work. 
well, but it takes, it takes that preparation on set. Oh, you, know? you know, your hair is going to look amazing, even with all that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's nerve wracking, but, um, but it's fun, but it's fun. I've been working with practical effects my whole life. So I, I really like them. I really enjoy them, but it's, it's really nerve wracking for everybody, for everybody. Yeah. The first, uh, first movie set I was ever on was 100 tears by Marcus. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I was on set one day, um, with a guy that was helping with bringing Marcus some lights and we were there and I, there was just so much blood. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, for, you know, I was always big on practical effects too and love it in movies, but being on a movie set for the first time and something super independent. I mean, I, I still think that's one of the bloodiest movies ever made. Um, I was just, I was just so taken back and, and watching Marcus through the years has been so fun. So from starting off so small to doing, you know, this type of stuff, like we are still here and, and now Jacob's wife and working all this stuff in between, he's still doing super independent stuff, like with the American uh, guinea pig stuff over here with Steven and then doing his own thing. It's just, just watching him grow and being crazy has just been uh, a lot of fun. So knowing that he was a part of this, I was already intrigued uh, because he's got such a good touch. And and beyond what, he does as a as a sort of a craftsman besides just being really really good at his job there's a whole sort of world of horror that you were just talking about like the movies that he makes and the american guinea pig and and that i want that energy in our more mainstream horror movies Uh yeah like like, you know a24 horror i love it you know mainstream studio horror sure it's good but there's there's got to be room for that gonzo raw like fuck you american horror in <laughs> yeah we should we movies. should call it elevated horror <laughs> <laughs> it's take it that, and elevate it you know I, I, there's a conscious decision that you're that you know you're going to get when you bring somebody with that background in you're going to get it's going to be a little more raw and a little more you know punk rock and and the movies benefit from having that energy mm-hmm. no that was yeah. I, I had the same i was on the same page because i was i was doing something myself uh making a, a a short film and i had uh christian stella from you know the battery and uh after midnight shoot it and it was super, it looks super well polished, you know, um, because he's just, he's got one of the best eyes out there. But then when it came to effects, I was like, well, Marcus, because he's dirty. Yeah. And blend <laughs> together. It's, just it's this, dangerous. That's yeah, amazing. It's, it's like yeah. super edgy, you know, that way. And uh, just Marcus is just, he, you're right. He's a craftsman. He's just, uh, he's insane. Oh, this is your friend, Dirty Marcus, you were telling me about, Brad. What? <laughs> the friend you were texting me about, Dirty Marcus? You were telling me all those stories? <laughs> I mean, that could be Marcus. <laughs> he could be Dirty Marcus. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> all right. Screenshot it. <laughs> hey, Steph, we haven't heard from you in a bit. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just enjoying everyone. <laughs> Did you, did you want to add anything? 
No, see, you put me on the spot. Well, okay, I was kind of curious. Um, so it's Friday night. Everyone is streaming Jacob's Wife. But it's Friday night. You don't want to just yeah, yeah. watch one movie. We're not amateurs here. Have so fun. perfect double feature with Jacob's Wife. What do you guys recommend? I have mine already because I had vibes the entire movie. No, Travis and Barbara, please. Okay, then I won't say mine. (laughs) (laughs) No, you you can go after. (laughs) You you go first. I I don't know. That's a question I haven't thought of. Uh, That's a a good question. Um, Okay, Brad, I guess you can go while she's thinking about it. Well, I mean, let Travis go. I think Travis already has his answer here. Okay. So you could, a perfectly great double feature would be another Barbara Crampton classic. And I think watching, you know, one of the Stuart Gordon movies and this back to back, you'd be like, I get it. These are, these are companion, these complement each other. Hopefully that would be, that would be one experience. You could also do it. You could watch Jacob's Wife in um, uh, Vamp. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that uh, that uh, vampire movie, uh, Richard Wank's Vamp. Vamp uh, yeah, with, uh, Grace cool. Jones. Yeah, a perfect Friday night movie. Yes, absolutely. Which has uh, um, the other guy in it that's in the that's in your movie. He's in uh, Russell, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. That one plays with tone too. It's on Arrow Video in HD. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Vamp is I think, great. Uh, I think if you were sticking with that vampire double feature, um, Bill Gunn's Ganja and Hess. Uh huh. Sort of yeah. That yeah. explores uh, uh, you know hmm. the relationship impact <laughs> that vampirism could have. Uh, oh, okay, I got one. I got one too. I thought of one. <laughs> Thanks, Stephanie. <laughs> um, okay, I at different times I've thought, well, this is kind of like the grown-up version of "Let the Right One In." You know, okay. the relationship. Yeah, I, I hear it. Yeah, that the that the young vampire girl has with the person who is taking care of her, the older man, and we, then we realize later on in the movie that he was young once too like the new boy that she befriends that then becomes her caretaker. And, and, you know, in the relationship that they have and the dynamics that they have and had, had is because really both films are relationship movies, mm-hmm. Jacob's wife and let the right one in. So how about that one? And, Perfect. and really astute viewers might notice that the skateboarders and Jacob's wife are named Oscar and Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or they might not at all notice that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody's brought that up ever. Oh, yeah. We got yeah. scoop. I noticed <laughs> Kinski County. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's for me. I just, the humor in that, in that <laughs> version where it's just, he's just a maniac. Kinski's just a fucking maniac in that and just yeah. a menace. And, that was that was the energy I wanted uh, Bonnie Aarons to to sort of play with, which is sure she's there to sort of help um, help Anne uh, blossom a bit, but I wanted her to have that uh, that sort of manic quality to it. I think that's an incredible movie. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Can we talk about Larry? All right, President? Steph, since you brought it up. Oh, 
The delay, no, the delay. Um, I will go last because I asked the question and someone no. actually chose mine. So now no. I'm scrambling oh. for another one. <laughs> I, I have an odd one. Um, and I'm, 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 there's probably no connection here, Travis, at all. Uh, but it's with the fever dream like quality that the film has. It reminds me of, <laughs> don't laugh. Uh, some of the children of the corn sequels, especially part two, because there is this fever dream like quality that the film has where it's very uncomfortable looking at times. Um, especially the sequences in the house where the light is glimmering through the windows and, you know, Barbara's in the kitchen. And uh, of course the whole preacher aspect, because in children of the corn Two, the preacher, the guy has that knife he's drilling into the, the voodoo doll and the blood starts coming out of his nose profusely. And it's, it's a very uncomfortable movie. Um, and I felt a little uncomfortable at times when, you know, uh, Larry is giving his, uh, or Jacob is giving his, um, you know, sermons. That's what I felt. I mean, I'm sure that there's maybe not a connection there, but I do like that uncomfortable, uh, I'm always attracted to the like kind of the preacher church aspect because I I've always been uncomfortable at church and when I see it in movies I get uncomfortable but um, it, it's just the way it's shot very you know it's very close and the the idea that his shirt of course was all the way up and you could see like his neck form like muffin top and over it's just like it, he looks uncomfortable you know and it's just. Ugh. Yeah. Wait, is that what muffin topping means? <laughs> well, muffin top is usually your pants and your belly. <laughs> but like the shirt is way too small for his neck. And, right. and, you know, whether, I don't know if that's intentional, but it shows like this uptight, uncomfortable person. Uh, and by the end of the movie, he's not like that. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah. It, you know, it's, it's loose and he's more free and even though it's a small, it's only one button that changes that all, but it's very noticeable in the movie for me. Well, that's well, it's noticeable for me too because uh, my my brain's trained uh, that character trait to like a Lynchian thing, where I'm always looking how buttoned up is somebody, and then like how how do they appear at the end of the uh, the show or the story? Yeah, and uh, that, that Lynch is always what I can track with that. That was, that was definitely a conscious decision. And, and I think it leads to the, probably the best double feature you could do, which is Jacob's wife and Larry Fessenden's own habit. Because there is a vampire movie where you get to see Larry Fessenden be a wild man from the beginning <laughs> to the end. And it's one of the greatest alt vampire movies of all time. And I think it would be fascinating for people to see what a what a you know the differences between his performances in those two movies. I I loved Larry in this. Um, I loved how because uh, I loved how reserved he was. I loved like, but he still brings this presence to you. I mean, I I really believed him as this you know as this pastor. Um, and at, and at first, when I saw the poster, I was like, oh, "I'm not going to buy Larry Fessenden as a preacher." Are you kidding me? And <laughs> and he it's 
from the first from the first moment you see him at the pulpit, uh, I was, you know, he 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 landed it. I mean, he's such a great character actor, anyway. But um, yeah, I, we wanted to give him something that that you haven't seen him in before, yeah. and you know, we had been talking to Larry about this part two years before we even made the movie, and we weren't sure we would be able to use Larry or get Larry, but he he was always at the very top of the list and he frequently pick, plays that third fourth or fifth or tenth banana and he just comes in and gets killed or <laughs> he plays some sort of ruffian with a muffin top and then you know you don't see him after a while and uh and we just thought it would be a nice showcase for Larry also to have this part, you know, and, and Larry's and my histories are very similar in a way. We've just been part of the horror genre for a long time. And we're, we're both long married people. There was just so many things about Larry that just seemed so right. We'd work together and we were still here and you're next. And I don't know. And we know each other and we're the same age and we run in the same circles and it just made sense. It just made sense to have Larry, but I'm so glad that that you thought, oh, I don't, I don't buy Larry as that, and then when you saw it, you really believed it, mm-hmm. because that's we all felt the same, you know. We all knew he could do it. He's a great actor. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh no, yeah, he, people can he's see a that. Wonderful actor. Yeah, the, you know that 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 was actually going to be. A, <laughs> I, I needed to find a way to ask this, but is Larry like an intense guy? Is he kind of a scary guy? Because. <laughs> I met, uh, uh, I, I know, I know John, I know John Dahl from, you know, through some people and like, I, I asked John Dahl about Ray Liotta and I'm like, Hey man, does like, does Ray Liotta like scare the shit out of you? And John Dahl's like, no man, Ray Liotta's like a nice guy. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like he scares the shit out of me. And Larry Fessenden's kind of like that with me because he's kind of Jack Nicholson and he's kind of like, I don't, I don't know, man. He's like this. Like that movie, uh, Jughead. He was so good in yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, no, I think he's. I think he's great. But Larry's very nice, <laughs> and and Larry's very nice and kind and and a sweet person. Um, there are times when Larry can be a little bit aloof and not be around people. There's times when he kind of prefers to be on his own. But if if he opens up to you, he's a big teddy bear total big teddy bear so loving and kind and fun and so and that was one of the things that we wanted on the set too we wanted everybody to feel really comfortable in in the cast and and Larry feels like family to us at this point and it it was important to have a cast that all got along and Mm -hmm. we felt like we could we could all feel like very lived in with one another yeah. yeah, I'll go even fur- further. Like Larry, you're not just getting an actor; you're getting somebody who really wants everyone to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so what he's bringing is not just preparation for the job he's doing. He's bringing this warmth and jokes and energy that picks everybody's spirit. Mm-hmm. He's he knows that he knows yeah. how tough it is to make a movie, not yeah. just for the director, but for the grip and the electric and the craft service mm-hmm. person and it, i think it's one of his you know nicest attributes is that he will take the time 
to give them a little lift. And it makes a difference in how the, the, the process is, not just in how people feel, but how everybody feels at the end of it. Like you really have. He's like our yeah. John Cassavetes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, I'm actually just starting to connect. Like, oh, that's right. Larry's been all over there. Yeah. He's, he's great. And, 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 you know, we've been saying this a little bit, but I think both Barbara and, and, and Larry, have used their years in the business for good. Yeah. And they're at the point now where, where if they can help somebody out, mm -hmm. they do. And that has real value into this world and to this genre. And uh, yeah, I feel super fortunate to have benefited from it, but it's wonderful to see other people benefit from it every day as well. It's really great when you see that because, like, you know, I mean, even I, even on the last podcast, I mentioned uh, author Brian Keene, how he is that the way in the in the horror fiction community. Mm -hmm. And I did mention, I mentioned you, Barbara. I said, I said, well, Barbara's that way mm -hmm. with the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, every time you're you're on set with a, a new a new director, I mean, you take the time to you know post an Instagram picture of of the crew of what's going on, and and it's just you just have that spirit about you and, and even, even you, Travis, like you're very collaborative and you want to bring people with you and up with you and, and help people. And, and like yeah. those, those types of attributes are just fantastic, especially in kind of these, um, these genre circles that we all travel in, you know, cause you're only as good as who you're working with really sometimes. And, and, and as a, especially in a collaborative, something collaborative, you really need to, to be bringing people up with you and, and hopefully, they they ride along with you, you know. Yeah, yeah. We need to lift each other up and support each other. We need to talk about things that we think are great, not just the things we're involved in, but what other people are doing. And that that that's an important part of life. I mean, you 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 have to make sure you take care of everybody around you. And yeah, I I like doing that. I used to feel that way. And then Brad brought up summer's moon. So now <laughs> great, Brad. He had a good vibe. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it every time you're on the show. So you just, yeah. we have to expect it. Yeah. At this point. Well, at this point, humanity can go to hell. <laughs> well, it's All right, uh, Steph, you can't get away from your movie with your double feature at this point. Okay, well, it might be because everyone starts saying Larry a lot. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm going to say Larry, uh, Cable Guy, Delta Farce. I was going to say the same thing. I am just going to quit if men keep talking over my movie titles. <laughs> and scene. I'm just going to roll out. Okay. <laughs> Uh, a return to Salem's lot. Oh, <laughs> Larry Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think um, uh, after your movie, I just watched it for the second time. Like it, it gets your blood up. It, it's really exciting. You, you have a, an emotional catharsis and it's incredibly gory and bloody and energetic um, why not watch Sam Fuller hunt uh, Nazis and vampires right after? <laughs> well, he's not, not a deep hunter. He's a Nazi killer. <laughs> yeah, he's hunting Nazis and vampires. And uh, Tara Reed is in there, which is always a bonus. Occasionally a bonus. It's a bonus in this one. That's what I'm doing, Carl. You just Tara Reed? That's, that's amazing. 
<laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad you took it for the compliment it was made after because <laughs> I really love that movie. Well, it's yeah, uh, it feels it's... like there there's a big callback uh, to Salem's lot in there mm-hmm. when yeah when the vampires in the background and you see, can see the eyes glimmer yeah. um, big it. time. I mean, but yeah, that's. Uh, one of the greatest well, shots in the film too. I yeah. mean, there's a few, few really great shots, but that's a big one. What, one of the most fun things about working on this movie with Travis was that we revisited all our favorite uh, vampire movies. And then we even watched some that we hadn't seen before. And we talked about it. What are the scenes you like? And what do you like? What do you think about this? And what about that? And we just, you know, we just, and and that's how, Travis decided to use the rat element because we realized, oh, we've seen that a few times, but not enough. And let's bring that in because that's something maybe we need to see again, you know? Yeah, classic that's fallen out of fashion. It was nice seeing that again. Yeah, rats and sex. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're, well, I think but, that's why we all love the genre. Come on. But that, but that big scene with the in the in the factory with the with the rats and the sex and stuff. What, <laughs> were we calling uh, the mangler there? Were we going back to graveyard shift? That, those were the vibes I was getting. I was having fun. With <laughs> definitely, definitely felt like that. I was right. like, okay, maybe the video store is a little <laughs> too apparent. The video store shelf is too apparent in, uh, in this production design here. Well. I think that's a big part of it, Travis. And it's, you know, I'm a, I'm always one to call, even if I like a movie, I'll call it out. It's like, you know, I really hate the wink, wink, uh, retro stuff and it's, and it's back in a big way and it's fun. Sometimes it really is. And I, you know, it's a good time seeing it and, and, you know, callbacks are always fun, but there, but no, but there is this element to where it is lazy sometimes where you just throw it in because, Oh, you know this is that's that's hip it's fun you know this is what i grew up on this is my homage um and there are a lot of wink winkison movies but i really other than maybe the salem's lot callback there really wasn't anything that really stuck out to whereas like look at me i like movie type thing (laughs) Uh, yeah well it's you're supposed to be processing your influences and creating something new yeah from them yeah. you're supposed to be contributing your own dna to the thing and what you squeeze out is a new creation mm-hmm. and there are people who do a very very good job um illustrating the movies they like <laughs> and i don't care about that right i want to see something new and uh, that's what we try to do yeah no absolutely i had a question about the vampire teeth i I I do have, if you've listened to the show long enough you know that I have a weird fascination with teeth but I always have a fascination with vampire teeth and how much of a discussion was it like are we going to go with like the canines mm-hmm. are we going to go with the front are we going to do something different how do they come out do they swap do they you know and and I, there's just enough in this one to kind of like at the dentist to kind of give like an idea of how it possibly could work but there's but it's not like True Blood where someone goes, ha, and like their teeth just come down. But I think yeah. I, I love the subtleness to it. But how much dis- in a vampire movie, how much discussions happen about the vampire teeth? Because I would hey, hold on, Sean, talk Sean, Sean is about part it. of this you're just confused about how vampires go to the dentist? <laughs> yeah, that's part of it, yeah. What's their dental coverage? Okay. I mean, you know. <laughs> be clear. What, what if, what oh. if one, what if, well. what if they need a root canal, you know? <laughs> it was, uh, it kind of happened kind of funny 
at least for me, and maybe this isn't a good reflection. I'm trying to find the picture, but basically, uh, I found a picture of a rat's mouth and turned the picture upside down. And I said, that's how I want our vampire mouth to look. And that was the design element I gave to Marcus and those guys. And then you're sort of like, oh, and that's kind of what they were doing in the classic designs. But mm -hmm. it really yeah. started from cool. once we brought the rats in and I was sort of getting in the vibe of rats and stuff. I came across this image and, and it was just a super close up on a rat's mouth. And I turned it upside down and it just, it looked almost vaginal. <laughs> which uh, which was something that I was like, oh, that's interesting because I knew I wanted this vampire to, you know, it was going to be a woman. So yeah, that's it, it. Went from there, and people seemed to really enjoy it. And yeah, it it's weird because once you think of vampire teeth being that way, now when I see mm. more classic teeth, I'm like, that, looks that doesn't look right. <laughs> it does not look right. What do you mean? You yeah. open your mouth and then you drop down? Like, what? That's silly. <laughs> I know. I agree with you. That ours feel more authentic to me in a funny way. Well, yeah, I guess it goes back to the classics. And yeah. we, we've kind of went away from those classic films, you know, Nosferatu mm -hmm. and Vampire and all those films back, you know, way, way back. And we've developed the kind of this, you know, 70s, 80s vampire thing, and we haven't really looked back. <laughs> so it's just, it's just another like kind of callback to mm -hmm. do that without, you know, like I said, winking at the camera, but, you know, being new, being fresh, but also feeling familiar. And I think that's the important part of that stuff because I, inspiration, we, you know, it's, nothing's really original these days as far as stories concerned, we're all playing off of, you know, what we love most, but it's about turning it into your own thing. Um, and some people are very successful at it. Some just, you know, it's like, oh, there's another Carpenter reference in this movie that I'm watching. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we know we get it. We you like John Carpenter, you know, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's fun to watch kind of uh, filmmakers grow um, from all over. And, you know, just yourself, Travis, from, you know, doing a movie that we'll never name again in this podcast to, you know, uh, <laughs> producer in, you know, some really heavy and hard hitting films and, and, you know, supporting all these people around you getting into, you know, your own feature film from what, 2019 and into this, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's fun watching filmmakers, uh, you know, mature in yeah. very many scenarios. I'll, I'll, Even actors like, you know, Barbara, just, just, you know, from, it's like every time at this point, it's like every two, three years, you're in something that's completely different. And this is, this is one of those movies to where this is something yeah. you've never done before, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which is nice, you know. I'm excited to see what goes where she goes from here because this is such a, a a big sort of showcase for her you know i'm really excited for the scripts that are going to come across your desk moving forward and i'm excited to see you in so many different types of movies and types of roles because i think people are going to be like we need her in our movie 
You're oh, next. Barbara Crampton. Yeah. You're next. <laughs> I'll be next again. You're next, next again. Barbara. <laughs> yeah. You. In this case, it's your next case. Yeah. That's a stick pun. I might be going to Twitter. Yeah. Well, I, I will say, I will, I will say not to dampen any of our, our, uh, our lively moment, but, but to also illustrate the point that it, it took me a while for somebody to say yes, that they wanted to make this movie because it was about an older couple and an older woman. And we don't often yeah, we often don't see movies about older couples. I was really buoyed by the fact that Relic came out recently and, you know, it was about the younger girls, the daughters' reaction to their mom. But at the at the forefront, there was this older woman who had Alzheimer's. And and then we saw Anything for Jackson a few months ago that came out. I love that story. And those, that was about grandparents. And then we have this movie, which is about an older couple. So, it, you know, it took a long time for me to find a production company that wanted to make a story about an older couple. Hmm. And then when I finally did, they were all in AMP, you know, productions and uh, Alliance Media Partners. They were, they were all in, um, but it, but it was tough finding that. So, you know, you saying that Travis, I think, Oh, that'd be, that'd be great. Is the, and the whole movie is about that opening up, you know, Anne's uh, expression to the world and reinventing herself and finding her voice and, you know, will people want to ask me to be in other movies? I mean, you say, oh, yeah, the scripts are going to fly my way. But I don't know that. I don't know if that's true. Um, they better. Or I'm, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm like a lone wolf and cub and just well, starts knocking on doors. Being like, oh, here's Barbara's TV series where she plays. Well, a, a... <laughs> yeah, Barbara, yeah. your friends have the number one movie in the country right now. I know, Adam. Yeah, that's true. I'm very proud. I'm very proud of Adam and, and what he's accomplished over the years and where he is now. It's really it's really amazing. But um, you know, I mean, let let's see what happens. I don't I don't know. I, I did since it took me so long to make this movie with Travis from the time that I first got the script, there were times when I said to myself and my family, and I I said, if I never make another movie. I just want to make this one and I'll be good. If I can just make Jacob's wife, I'm done. I'm fine. If that's all there is, I'm good with that. You know, so I, you know, we got here, Travis, we, we did it, you know? And so we have that and, and we'll see what comes from. That's awesome. Well, it's a, that. it's a, maybe something, maybe nothing. It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic so I think film. A lot of it has to deal with, you know, um, and this is a positive thing, but there is this kind of resurgence. And, and I know you can speak on behalf of this is that, you know, we have a lot of these, you know, younger upcoming, you know, directors and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, edgy to put Barbara Crampton, Michael Berryman, Felissa Rose yeah. in your movie because it's like, it's cool. It's retro. Well, that's but, what they did in your next. That's that's why they had me in your next. You know, yeah. and it, and it's and it's one of those things to where, you know, these people can still act. You know, it's just yeah. it's not really a cameo purpose. And I think you know, with your comeback and doing that, it has been fun to watch you come back in in a in a, in a big way again. You know, coming from the eighties. Uh, you know you know, doing the soap operas and then, you know, kind of coming back into horror with like your next, 
but uh, and to kind of speak maybe what Travis was saying a little bit is, you know, it's just not beautiful Barbara Crampton making a cameo in my movie. It's more or less like, you know, she has skills. And, and I think this does kind of open a window for you to where, I mean, you're fucking ripping the head off of somebody and blood's spurting in your face. I've never seen that before from mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, the range is obviously there. It's just now maybe people get to see it or be reminded that it is there. And it's just not, you know, cameo for these, you know, actors that have been, that mm-hmm. we grew up with that are between the ages of 50 and 70 mm-hmm. years old. You know, mm-hmm. it, I think it's important that, you know, uh, it's an important role for you. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, yeah, the I, moment I know you probably have seen that from the beginning. Yeah. Well, there's so. the moment when, when Barbara, you, your character and her, it was a high school sweetheart or are in the restaurant talking and we see you processing what you're saying. Cause you know, you know, you know, you're, you're having these memories, you're having these things flood back, but it's like that scene, that quiet scene, you're, the way you project how you're trying to process this information just through your eyes and facial expressions. I, I I don't know if I've ever seen that from you in a film, you know, and I, and I'm like, have I not watched enough Barbara Crampton films? Have I not, you know what, but that moment I was just, I love, I absolutely love that, that dinner scene with, with, uh, Mm -hmm. with you, with you and that, and and I I don't know the actor's name. You know, I, I, uh, Robert Russler, Robert Russler. Well, I think, you know, Travis really tried to illuminate that, uh, uh, you know, in that scene for us. So I give a lot of thanks to Travis for that. And also we had uh, an A and a B camera uh, for most of the movie. So in that particular scene, excuse me, I have a hair in my eye. <laughs> that particular scene. Oh, my God. Uh, I can bite somebody's head off, but I can't get the freaking hair out of my eye. Um, with an A and a B, B camera, we were able, to, I, I don't know, Travis, I actually don't know. Is that, was that see, was that that one take? Was that one take from both of us that, because we didn't, we didn't, uh, uh, marry different takes yeah. together. No. Was that from one that the one that you liked the best? The, that was part of the, the approach to shooting the movie was in order to give us a chance to maybe get some truth from the yeah. like that we brought in two cameras that we could shoot both actors at once which would allow us double the time and we're really reacting off what other what the other person's saying mm-hmm. so in those moments when you might see that glint in my eye of recognition of oh i'm thinking about something it was in direct reaction to what robert just said to me it wasn't frankenstein from another take yeah, it yeah. was just it was from the take, and I found that very valuable. I don't want to work another way again. I only want to work with A and B camera at the same time. I I think that's really really helps the performances. Yeah, because yeah, there the was absolute truth there. On, the, on this one as well was giving the actors room to go off script, improv mm-hmm. a little bit, get a bit more ownership over the yeah. of the scene, so that even if it doesn't end up in the movie, the performance, they're making connections and drawing some stuff mm-hmm. that maybe gives the lines a little bit more life. Uh, 
And so both in, in that scene in particular, both uh, Barbara and, and Robert had really come up with a big, long backstory on their relationship that there were takes where they went into that really. Yeah. And it was all new material to me. <laughs> this was two actors working on yeah. their characters and designing a backstory for their characters together. And it's like, that's... Yeah, we improv I don't know. I don't actually know if in the final take with those were some improv lines, but we improv a lot in, in the different takes that we shot of that scene. Um, and that then that really loosened us up too, you know, really made us feel like we were really there with one another. Yeah, there's there's a sequence in there with uh, with you and Robert where uh, you first go in the warehouse and you know there's that oh. kiss and then you pull away and then you kiss him. But when you're kind of walking when you walk down the steps and 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 you know you're you're on the ground and and you're walking there's a very like teenage mm -hmm. thing that you have going on with your yeah. face your eyes and you're very bubbly and mm -hmm. like oh this is fresh and new this is happening yeah. again and then <laughs> it completely changes to where <laughs> you know you're exploring your your womanhood um and it's completely left that alone. And I just thought the transition, you know, from from being a a boring housewife that's needing more to uh, still wanting more, but discovering yourself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, it was just like it was cute. It was and cute. Yeah. Cute at all. But there's that cute. Sequence. Yeah. I just thought I thought in that one scene that that's probably the way we acted when I hit him and I go, Oh, you're terrible. Yeah. Like that's what she would, she would have said that when she was a teenager, don't do that. Come on. Yeah. You know, that's how maybe we were back in the day or something. No, absolutely. And I, I think it adds a lot and, you know, it's, it shows that, that tonal shift. I mean, there's a lot of tonal shifts in this movie, but that's definitely one of them that really stuck out for me. Because I was kind of, where's playful Barbara Crampton coming from here? And then, mm. you know, 15, 20 minutes mm -hmm. later, you're lifting up furniture with bloodletting playing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, we, we have to give we have to give a shout out to Robert Russell, though, because I really thought he was a fantastic choice. And Travis didn't find him because he's always existed. But um, he met him yeah. at a screening and 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 called me up and said, you know, I just met Robert Russler at the screening, and I don't know what about him for Tom. And I thought, oh my God, he's so cute and handsome. I would have loved to have had a thing with him back in high school. Yeah, get Robert Russler. And um, he was just he was just so I don't know, so present as a performer. Don't you think so, Travis? He was just so so really wanting to play and really there, and he just. He just and you know I hadn't met him before. I, I of course I know of him for years, but there's certain people that I've worked with in the past couple of years that I guess I grew up in the business with, but I didn't know. And Michael Perea, I've worked with twice now, and I didn't know him when we were both in the business at at the same time. And Robert Russell, I never met him, but yeah. uh, he was perfect. And I what a wonderful How do you meet Tom acting Cody, partner. But not know Tom Cody. What? Michael Pere, right? We're yeah. talking Streets of Fire. Yeah, Streets of Fire. Yeah, Tom Cody. Like, yeah, 
Big character. You knew him, but you didn't know him. I never met him personally. Oh, yeah. oh, okay, I see it. <laughs> no, I knew him as a performer who doesn't know Streets oh. of Fire. But... Right. Well, I know him personally. We have Thanksgiving every uh, winter. In the <laughs> yeah. But anyway, no, but it was it was nice. Robert Russell was just really I just thought he I, I was so happy that that he was Tom, you know, because he really was a person for a few days that he was he was on our shoot that I could could feel myself. Oh, I could fall in love with this guy. I could see myself, you know, in my younger days would have been in love with somebody like him. I, I could see that. I could feel that, you know. He was a very generous performer as well. I think you can tell that in the, in the scenes we had together. Awesome. Yeah, no, he carried some movies. He carried sometimes they come back for sure because that movie's <laughs> awful, but he's he's so good at it. He's so, he's such a he brings he has a, a very uh it's funny because he can be Wait, very movie? charming and very caring but he also can be very sinister mm-hmm. at a drop of a hat and that's and i think that's what's you know kind of unique about him mm. mm-hmm. yes Wait, what movie the comeback sometimes, sometimes they, come, they back. come back he's like the yeah movie. oh no okay, well, okay. you know and also i mean robert russell you were supposed Sorry. to think that maybe he was Maybe he was the one that had, you know, attacked Amelia, the, the girl that goes missing in the beginning of the movie. So we wanted we wanted the audience to think, oh, Tom is dangerous. Yeah. Something's gonna happen to Anne if she goes out with this guy Tom. I, you well, know, I mean he you- also, yeah, his very first shot is him like drinking, like in the back of the bar with this yeah. like super mysterious uh look going on to where is he an alcoholic <laughs> is he just like you know just a kind of a bad bad things are going to happen but um yeah no it's, there's a, there's a couple yeah. like things in the movie that that adds so much flavor to it yeah he really you felt like he really lived in the character even for the small time that he was on screen you really got who he was as a person and what the history was with with Anne and and he and i I really think that was that was all Robert. He really brought that. Yeah. Well, um, we need to start wrapping up, everybody. It's been uh, it's been about an hour and a half. So, um, Travis and Barbara, you have been very generous with your time. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and, and talking about this film. I want to open yeah. the floor to if anyone has any lingering questions. Now's your time to uh, to launch them into the uh, into the ether. Yes, I do, Sean. I was okay. muted. I was trying to talk over you. I was trying to be. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to be rude, but then I was muted, and now I have to apologize for not being as rude as I thought I was being. But uh, Travis, the the one thing I want to say before we get out of here, because I don't want to give it away for the audience, but man, uh, between you producing Cheap Thrills and then you uh, directing and producing this, you you've given me two of my favorite like final freeze frame images from. Uh, from from some modern films i'm a big fan of like the freeze frame at the end and you just hold it for the whole credits and you fucking nailed it twice bro (laughs) yeah i i love the final moment of our film too i love it all goes back to hard boiled (laughs) just just trying to absolutely absolutely yes sir but thank you the next movie the credits the I Bro, freeze frame the whole thing. Part. Make it so like the best movie ever would be <laughs> that Beck video devil's haircut, and then they just freeze frame it in the middle of the movie. <laughs> 
And then there's those credits at some time later. Oh, God. I'm old and don't <laughs> get that reference. <laughs> I don't even think Mike knows what he's talking about right now. I this do. Is, this has been a romantic video with you. called Devil's <laughs> Haircut. I'll look it up on the, on the, on the internet. <laughs> it's somewhere, it's somewhere. Uh, so where can people, I know it's going to be streaming everywhere. Um, where can people find um, Jacob's wife? Is it is it going to be, I know theaters are weird now. Is it going to be theaters? Is it streaming only? Mm-hmm. Where can people find, find Jacob's wife? It's in wherever your, 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 um, your premium independent films play. It is in drive-ins. It is in Alamos across Texas. Uh, it is uh, in a couple places in Los Angeles, the uh, Vineland Drive-In, Cine Lounge Drive-In, and Lemley's North Hollywood. Uh, New York, they're still working on booking. But basically, if you've gone to the movie theaters to see a independent horror film in the last five years, there's a very good chance this one will be at that same location. Cool. And it'll be at the same time on like a Vudu and Amazon Prime mm-hmm. or Amazon. You yeah. can rent it on Amazon. And all for those of us who prefer just sitting on our couch with a six pack of beer and a big <laughs> sandwich, <laughs> Vudu, Amazon, and any other VOD provider. Awesome. All right. It's in your TV. Big sandwich. <laughs> I don't even eat sandwiches and drink beer on my couch to watch movies, but it sounded like a thing. It sounded good. Yeah, yeah. Some beer, you know, your movie sandwich. Yeah. I'll have a movie sandwich. I do like sandwiches, so I'm like, that sounds damn I love, good. I love sandwiches. <laughs> a big sandwich just sounds really good. Yeah. yeah. Me. It's the movie. It's a big sandwich. sandwich. Yeah, like a Dagwood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Barbara and Travis, again, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we can't wait to have you on again. So, uh, of course, we're always keeping track of your of your work, and okay. I'm sure we'll talk again very soon. This is really fun. Thanks, you guys, so much for having us. Really, we enjoyed it. And congratulations well, for getting back on the air. This is fun. yeah, we're back, bro. Thanks, Travis. <laughs> nice. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun. <laughs>